1: You're listening to Sci-Fi Wire's 22 Days of Marvel. On today's episode, we're talking about Ant-Man. Stay tuned. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Sci-Fi Wire's 22 Days of Marvel podcast. I'm today's moderator, Megan Denine, And on this podcast, we are counting down to the release of Avengers Endgame by revisiting all of the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one day at a time. Each day, we tackle a different movie, we re-explore the plot, call out the best scenes and dialogue, and most importantly, track all the connections across these 22 movies and what clues give us a hint to what happens in Avengers Endgame. And finally, what makes this podcast the most exciting is our hosts. We're all massive fans of the MCU at Sci-Fi Wire, and this podcast will be hosted by a rotating cast of Sci-Fi Wire staff. Some you've heard before, some you didn't, and uh, we're going to geek out from the inner circle right here at Wire HQ, straight to the podcast platform of your choice. So let's jump right in with today's co-host, joined by one of my favorite humans of all time, Morgan Johnson. Hello, hello. Producer for Sci-Fi Wire, and also Jordan Zacharin, our uh, features editors. Is, is that the correct way to attribute yeah, it you? That is my title, yeah. All right. People
2: call me that around the office. No, they
1: occasionally. Um, yeah, I don't really actually, I call myself a producer, but really the best way to describe me is, like, I do things. Sure, so. yeah. We're here to discuss Ant-Man today, but before we do that, I want to set up a really important person for our podcast. Me. Uh God damn it, Jordan. It's Warvis. Uh, And Warvis is kind of here to help us answer some questions that we don't know uh, and provide us details that we forgot because we didn't prepare for this podcast.
3: Very well put, Megan. I am the MCU expert here to answer all of your MCU questions. I am nothing like Jarvis. I am way better, way cooler, and way smarter.
1: Before we get into the movie for, for real, Let's talk about where we're at in the MCU at this point Ant-Man, before Ant-Man comes out. So what do we have right before this? We have Avengers Age of Ultron,
2: which... the high point.
1: I mean, it's my understanding that that movie bothered a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Um, and Ant-Man didn't really, I wouldn't say answered all those questions, but gave gave us a new character to... I don't know, fall in love with, hate, whatever your choice is about Paul Rudd in this movie. How do you hate Paul Rudd? I mean, you can't, but there's you know there is somebody on the internet that hates Paul Rudd. Somebody's very misguided. Well, obviously, but that's most of Twitter, so we knew that already.
0: I think Marvel's just in the business of taking funny guys and giving them a reason to get shredded, honestly. <laughs> oh. Like Chris Pratt, Paul Rudd, who's next? Kevin Feige <laughs> was overseeing schlubby guys.
1: I, I said this, I was watching Ant-Man last night and there's like a scene where he ha- uh, Paul Rudd has no shirt on yeah. and my roommate literally just goes, is that what Paul Rudd looks like with no shirt on? <laughs> now he does. And I was like, for this movie, yeah. But. There's a, there's
2: a lot of times they digitally enhance people even in their bodies. Not saying Paul Rudd did not get cut. I'm sure he put in in time at the
0: gym. Oh no,
1: but there was there yeah. were some posts VFX work. on. It Oh, yeah. yeah. It
0: sounds like Jordan is sipping on some Haterade. Oh, no,
1: it's, it's power actually Powerade, but, uh, <laughs> right but it's full of hate juice. No,
2: I mean, I love Paul Rudd. I'll say it now. I'll say it again in five minutes. Time me. I'm good. I will say that uh, <laughs> talking about Age of Ultron, people, I think, hated it later on when they they're allowed to admit they hate a Marvel movie, which is really funny. It takes like a couple months or so after all their access to the movie's been Um, you know, like after the movie, after the movie has been kind of, you know, gone around in their minds for a while, you know, they're like, oh, I can say it and Twitter won't kill me now. But I think if Age of Ultron represented kind of the, God, Marvel going too, too big, too superhero-y, too regular villain, boring stuff, Ant-Man was a nice antidote. Like you said, it didn't answer all the questions, but it's small literally figuratively and it's a fun romp as opposed to a big world ending uh, i guess we're going to lift a continent off the ground of age of ultron
0: it definitely follows a pattern because they did the same thing after the first avengers they came out with iron man 3 which is very like domestic us based like tony spends most of that movie in tennessee and after ultron we get ant-man which is the same thing like very domestic, like, all on Earth. So I think maybe they've established that pattern where we're going to give you craziness and then we're going to bring it back.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, I th- for me, like, weirdly, a lot of the movies I've seen in the MCU have been these, what I would call, like, standalone films that you could drop in on, and Ant-Man completely feels like that. Like, there are some nods to the other movies so that if you're really embedded in the universe, you get those little Easter eggs, but ultimately this movie is kind of like, hey, if I just wanted to drop in and randomly pick one, I could easily do that with this film. Yeah,
2: you don't need to know the Howard Stark part, right? Like where it's Tony's dad in the past was uh, trying to get stuff from uh, Michael Douglas's character, Hank, and yeah, the, the the one big reference is the Falcon. You know, that, yeah. that fight, mm, yeah. which really felt out of place, to be honest with you. It was it a bizarre did. moment.
1: It felt like someone was like, oh, wait, that's right. This is part of the MCU. And right, they like yeah. jammed something else and in And they there, like right? called him
2: Anthony Mack. He's like, all right, I'll do it. He's
1: like, yeah, how much are you paying me? I'll, yeah. I'll definitely show <laughs> and up. And I
2: love, I love the character. It was just kind of bizarre because he just goes upstate New York for like 20 minutes and fights an Avenger. And then he's like,
0: yeah, I fought an Avenger. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I survived to tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere that um, Paul Rudd saw... Anthony Mackie's character in the previous Avengers, and was like really impressed with the Falcon, and asked to be able to put him in the movie. And then Kevin Feige was like, "Oh, you know what? That's actually really convenient because Civil War is coming out, and we need to like amp it up." So look at that.
1: All right, but so then let's let's get into the movie itself. Uh, And you know, I think Jordan, you kind of. teed up in the beginning, you know, how, how we get here, how we start to learn what this technology is and, sure. and who want it in the beginning. So do you want to take us away how, how we kind of open up the movie?
2: Yeah. So it starts out in the 1960s, I believe, 60s, 70s. Uh, and Hank Pym, who is played by Michael Douglas, he has invented this technology. And Stark is, and this is Howard Stark, played by the none other than John Slattery. Who's so good, and I just wish he was in everything. I think he's disappeared from the face of the earth. Anyways, he wants that technology, and Howard, and uh, what you call it, Hank's like, nah, man, sorry, and he hides it, and kind of goes into goes into hiding a little bit. We find out later that his wife is stuck in a you know parallel the uh, the quantum realm, if you will. And so, flash forward like thirty, forty, whatever, whatever amount it is years. Now, Hank is looking older because they do that. You know that this is one of the first I feel like face rewinds they did, and it looks okay.
0: I thought it looked pretty His
2: good. His mouth moves in a weird way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's always just one of those things that when you've watched someone age right. and then they de-age them, it's very weird. I think if maybe like you're not as familiar with that person as
2: an on-screen character, sure. you're like,
1: ah, I could deal with this. Because but... you're
2: looking for the, the inaccuracies. Exactly. But if you look at, just to take it to Captain Marvel for a second, Samuel L. Jackson as a young person looks so much better than Michael Douglas as a young person in this movie and just that's like three four years of technology so it's amazing how far that's come anyways hank is now he's been ousted from his company and the guy who took over for him look a tech ceo is evil what do you know Played by Corey Stahl, who is fantastic in everything he does. I
1: kept yelling. I was like, Peter Russo, House of Cards. (laughs) Because that's all I do during superhero movies. I'm just like, I just name out uh, actors' other credits. I'm like, like, for um, Civil War, I kept being like, Frederick Zoller. (laughs) They did that
2: to me. And um, I I kept doing that when I was in the theater at screenings. They kicked me out. I'm not allowed back in. (laughs) Um, I wholeheartedly believe that. (laughs) And so. Uh, yeah, so Corey Stahl discovers this technology that Hank Pym has been hiding for so long, and he's like, hey, I'm going to sell it to, like, different weapons manufacturers who will probably arm militias and horrible people, but I don't care because I'm going to make money. And it's too bad we don't have Michael Peña to do this. how?. Huh? Oh. I wish we did. Right. Like, Honestly. Fast style like, exposition, yeah. and
0: Michael Pena of uh, doing the rundown of what the plot of this movie is would be amazing. It would make me
2: so happy. I love when he just goes into this side tangent about art and stuff, too. It's not even just about the plot.
0: Oh, well, I, I And just, wine. He's like, I'm more of a rose, man. The rose really <laughs> the, saved the yes. day. Oh, my God. The rose line is so good. I was at a wine tasting with my cousin Ernesto which was mainly reds, and, and you know I don't love reds, man. You know, But there was a Rosé that saved the day. It was delightful.
1: And then I love how they do the drunk history type thing where um, he's telling the story, right. but then the character in the
2: like reenactment is actually saying the yes. same words
1: as Michael Panna. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is so good.
2: And so anyways, uh, Hank is like, oh, shit. My technology is going to be sold. I need to figure out how to get it back. And instead of going with his very qualified daughter... Uh, just unbelievably qualified hope. Uh, and she's a scientist and she still works at the company and she kicks ass and she's just the best. He's like, No, I need to get a two bit criminal in because I don't want to risk my daughter. But I refuse to tell her that because I need her to be insulted as well. And so he's been watching this dude, Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd in jail. I guess he knows about his crimes and he was really good at s- cracking safes and that's what he needs for him to do. He needs to crack the safe where his armor is. And so he recruits Scott who is working at a Baskin-Robbins, actually got fired from Baskin-Robbins.
0: That scene. The hamburger just scene. Like, oh, it's oh, so, God, it good. so good. Like, yeah. Baskin-Robbins never forgets.
2: <laughs> yeah, the kid's like, oh, I'll take a hamburger. Oh, sorry, we're Baskin-Robbins. Uh, stop. <laughs> Hot pretzel and mustard, <laughs> <laughs> really anything hot. There's anyway.
1: nothing like getting fired in a pink polo shirt oh, while wearing know. a blue apron, like just being like, Oh, okay, cool. So, my life now is being let go from a Baskin Robbins.
2: It's also terrible <laughs> because companies should not fire people who were out of jail for like being nonviolent offenders if they've paid their time. Like that to me really stuck in my craw. Oh, yeah, on the upon rewatch. You know, that's like a bigger part of national debate. Um. But anyways, so Baskin Robbins, at least this franchise, not a friend of working people. Anyways,
1: <laughs> but then we get we get into uh, that like apartment scene where you kind yes. of meet this this really great cast of characters. Yes. So it's like you've got Michael Pena and like the rest of the people here that are just like everyone's kind of a caricature of what you would expect in like a group of of criminals. Right, like yeah. it's so good; they're lovable, and I like that's what I like about them. Yeah, he
2: met Michael Pena in prison. He got out of here earlier. Now he's got this like crew of. Weirdos and very loyal weirdos. Oh, yeah. And they are willing to go. Basically, all the way until they see a cop car later on. We'll talk about that later.
1: <laughs> anyway, he, <18. laughs> oh, the
2: yeah. slow backup. Yes. He he reunites with them and Michael Payne is like, "Yo, I got a score. I got a great idea." And he's like, "No, I can't do it." Then he goes visits this kid who's being raised by his ex wife Judy Greer and uh, Bobby Spaghetti. I think Bobby Cannavale. Right. Oh my god,
1: I love him. I was so excited to see him in this movie. I could
2: not remember his name oh. as I'm watching it. I'm just like,
1: so you went with Spaghetti?
2: Bobby Spaghetti. Yeah.
3: Bobby Spaghetti.
2: That's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were
3: close. Yeah. So, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby Spaghetti. It's funny because
2: that's not his real name. So he's like, hey, uh, you owe us child support and you're a criminal, so you got to get your life on track. And he's like, Shh, well, I just got fired from, ba- from Baskin Robbins, so money's not coming unless I do a crime. Dun-dun-dun! And at that point, Hank Pym comes to him and says, hey, um, got an idea for you. And at first he doesn't want to do it, and then he's like, oh, shit, no, I need to. And then he learns about the Ant-Man suit, he keeps flying into doors. And uh, I think we can probably take it from Wow! There.
1: You really you skipped like a whole part where he gets looped. He gets kind of looped in with uh, Michael Pena's character to crack a safe. Oh yeah, well, like that. But that whole scene yeah. where how he actually cracks he had to crack safe. the safe
2: to get the suit to steal it. Right, because the suit that Michael Pena, the thing that Michael Pena wants to steal is actually the suit. And he's like, Oh God, I found this suit. What do I, I? I can't do anything with it. And the thing that amazed me is that he actually took it instead of just leaving it there. He's like, I'm going to make the crime worse, even though I don't want this thing. I'm going to take it with me.
0: I think that was part of his, you know... Criminal instincts, being like, if yeah. someone went through this much to like true. hide this and like make it so hard to break into, it must be worth something.
2: That is very true. Yeah. Well, and how
0: he gets in with the fingerprint scanner, like, there's
1: that whole scene where he lifts the fingerprint. Also, right. I was like, wait, what? I, I, I'm Taking really, I'm really into I was like, like, yeah, I, they did that in Captain yeah, yeah. Marvel too. Well, I'm really into heist movies. So oh, okay. anyone who can like, well, in Captain Marvel, I love that scene yeah. where yeah. she's like, like, all she had to do is blow the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, walk around with tape. But she lets, she lets him like try <laughs> okay. to lift up. It's so good. You know, you gotta give a man something where you can have it. And it was 95. So, you know, everyone didn't, was sure. high tech then. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, but and I, I just, because I love with that, um, when they're in the, ba- when he's in the basement trying to break the safe and like how he basically rationalizes like, oh, it's the same steel that was built, used to build the Titanic. Titanic. And then yeah. that's how he's like, oh, well then all we got to do is create an iceberg. Yeah. And I was like, oh, poor Titanic. And, uh, they get,
2: uh, the great part about his, uh, his little crew with T.I. and Michael Peña and the other dude, they start to like debating who died on the Titanic. Oh, and my God, he, so yeah.
0: good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yo, that killed
2: Leo, killed everybody. Killed not her, the old lady, put the heart le- into the ocean.
0: <laughs> oh she threw it back into the ocean. That the line, he's so good. Yeah. Oh, man. It doesn't
3: do so well in the cold. Remember what that iceberg did? Yeah, man, it killed DiCaprio. Killed everybody. Not to kill the old lady. She still threw the jewel into the ocean.
1: But, yeah, but to, I mean, ultimately that all gets us to, is like, they get this suit. They're not really sure what it is, but, you know. He puts I, it on. We're like, okay, and it's got to be something if
2: somebody went to this much work. If to I hide find it. clothing, I put it on, no matter where I find it.
1: Oh, oh man, do you spend a lot of time in Brooklyn? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> people it's are a, always uh... just giving out
1: like, you're like, oh great, jeans just hanging on someone's fence. I'll take
2: them. I've worn so many random pairs of shorts. I can't tell you
1: shorts. <laughs> 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 but but then you know, so we put on the costume and we figure out the costume. We put on the suit and right. then uh, suit up suddenly taken down a journey that reminds me of the uh, magic school bus. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's so true. It really is. The whole time I was like, oh my God, where's Miss Frizzle when you need her to just explain how you get through? She would
2: have made things worse, I feel like.
1: She might have. I mean, don't get me wrong. If like Miss Frizzle's kind of crazy looking if you really think oh, about God. it. She's so a nutcase. Like, she
2: should not have charge of students. No.
1: By no means. And nonetheless, able to make them tiny and the bring them into small was crevices. The school on that one.
3: <laughs> it's a trial by fire, Scott. Or in this case, water.
0: I love how this scene is like really cool because you he, he see him shrink and like the great like use of lenses and make it look very realistic that he's shrinking and the sequence is fast paced and really fun and experiencing it from a tiny person. But the one thing that I took out from this whole sequence is that the woman's vacuum cleaner that she's using looks like it's from like the 80s. I was like, where are the Dysons? Because they definitely exist if this is supposed to be present day. (laughs) Yeah, but like I feel like vacuums are that thing that you're like, I'm not buying another one. I'm just going to keep using this. But this woman literally had like the paper bag that like fills with dust and is like on a rotating spindle. <laughs> I was like, lady, what you doing? Up- get, update your gear. My <laughs> girlfriend
2: just got a new vacuum cleaner and it looks like she's going to war. It looks like it's got this, it like, doesn't even have a pack, doesn't have like a you know, bag pack. It's like this long nozzle and it just like sucks up everything in its way. It's insane. Is it a
1: shark? It I like- don't know. Uh, that's the one I have no Morgan that's an animal not a vacuum yeah <laughs> alright but yeah the
2: vacuum was pretty old and um I love when he flies out of it you don't think about the people who get their shit screwed up in these in these movies like right. how much dust is she gonna have to clean up now well and
1: like that lady's gonna have to go get a new vacuum and what now? is she getting paid as like, she should as she should and according how, to Morgan how
2: is she gonna explain it to she didn't even know what happened hey this thing just blew up probably going come out of her salary
1: oh man yeah that's sad Pay hey, up Hank but so, like, I think what's crazy about this movie that I didn't realize or even think about was that when you get really small, you know, you're, you're going to kind of interact with some of the world's tiny creatures that suddenly feel horrifying. And so, there's like, mm-hmm. there's all this conversation about, oh, these ants are actually helpful for building. These will help you do this. I was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to get a biology lesson in this movie <laughs> as well.
2: It's, it's funny. No one – is it – all right, here's – I'm going to pause this question to you guys. So, Hank has this army of ants that he then gives to Scott. None of, you know, the humans don't get harmed, but some of these ants do die. And the question is. Anthony, Right? So the question is, is that immoral? (laughs) If you can communicate with these things and you're sending them to their death, is that immoral? Or are they just ants? Who cares?
0: Wow. You really went deep here. Especially in this movie where they, one of the main scenes where they try to communicate how evil crosses is when he kills a baby lamb. Right. And so there's just rampant. Like, PETA should be all over this fucking movie. It was so funny when Hope was
2: like, I thought we were using a rat. As if, like, that's better. That's better. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care about
0: rats. I mean, I, I do not. They're extremely intelligent animals. I mean, I've lived in New York for too long. I don't care about rats.
1: <laughs> oh, but this is like, oh, this, now this makes me think of Rocket and Guardians when you know, he's like, sure. talks about, like you, you called me a rodent. You called me
0: this. I'm like, he has feelings oh. too. <laughs> it's like, okay, trash panda. And he goes, is that, is that better or worse? He's like, so much worse.
1: <laughs> oh. No, but I think you 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 posit a good question, Jordan. The concept of you know, look, it's easy when you're a giant human, you step on an ant, you're like, okay, it was an accident, right. I didn't mean it. But now you're on their level, and you were essentially militarizing and sending them to their death. And you're one of
2: them. Because look, I don't know why he felt so bonded with Anthony. Anthony could not communicate really in any way that we could perceive. But it's supposed to be a sad scene where Anthony. Dies, right. Well,
0: I think a lot of what they are trying to do in terms of portraying the ants and it comes full circle at the end when his own daughter is keeping the enlarged ant as a pet. Right. I think they're supposed to be seen as friendly, you know, not just expendable, even mm-hmm. though they are perceived as expendable. But I think by trying to develop that relationship, they're trying to definitely make a connection between ants behave sort of the same way as cats slash dogs
2: And then, is it immoral, thusly, to send them to their deaths?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Morgan was like, I I am
0: unsure. I think it's, it's, well, Hank seems to have a very different view of it than Scott. Because Scott is like, I'm going to name this one Antony. And Hank is like, this is 147. They are just ants. There are too many of them. I am... You know, literally, you know, dehumanizing them by not giving them names, and they only have numbers like child soldiers. Yeah, so I think Hank feels a certain way about it. It's got different.
2: Do you think Hank feels that way because he hasn't been an ant in so long, ant size? He's lost touch with the people. Yeah, yeah. this is what happens. When you're in power <laughs> for too long. He's <laughs> a despot. But,
1: but to get back onto the plot line of the movie, <laughs> rather than uh, what its uh, existential implications are for us as a society, um, I think like what for me, one of the areas that we get to the part where we've tried to return the suit, basically, right. and now we're at, we see Paul Rudd in jail, and that's where we get a little bit of context for what really happened to, to Hank and his technology and what he's actually recruiting him to do. Right. Wh- why he wants him to come in and, and sort of help him rescue this technology, and it's, I believe it's Yellow Jacket he's trying to get back, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, I feel like it's a great moment where Scott is like, Yeah, like my days of like breaking into places and stealing shit are behind me. And Hank's like, So I need you to break into some place and steal some <laughs> shit. Oh my God. But then you get
1: that great scene. So where he's like, It's like he's training and he keeps trying to get him to fly through the keyhole. Yeah. And you just keep hearing him like run into the door. And I was like, Oh, I enjoy this. This I, is so I feel, good.
2: So how do you feel about what, well, as Hope is watching these things happen and she's like, I want to be in on the action, do you feel like, are you cool with her not being a part of it yet because Hank is trying to like, Save his daughter now that he's lost his wife, or is he holding her back? And this is very archaic.
1: I don't know. I didn't think he was holding her back necessarily, or at least I didn't view the movie that way. Right. I just it was like, oh, you know, we've we've recruited Scott in order to, you know, to get this technology back. But that's a super valid point that I didn't even consider. Yeah, She
2: wants to do it. She wants the promotion. But they're going to hire some. Nothing's wrong with. Look, I'm not going to say. I just said we should allow ex-cons to have jobs. But if someone's <laughs> a super qualified scientist who knows the technology really, really well and is clearly a martial artist. You know, she trained in it. Should you hire a guy who just got fired from Baskin Robbins instead?
0: No, I think she's clearly more qualified than Scott to go forward with their mission. And she says as much. And I think that's part of her major... Problem and like her character's positioning throughout the entire movie, where she was like, This makes no sense. Why are we spending so much effort trying to get this guy up to speed where I'm when I'm already there? Sure, and I'm already on the inside and I know everything that we need to do. You can understand it from Hank's point of view because he's like, I want to protect you. You're my daughter. This is really dangerous. We obviously know that Cross has no regard for human life, he will kill anyone and anything that stands in his way. Oh God, the goats, yeah, the baby lambs that do oh, really, the sorry. bathroom. Like oh, yeah. that's what happens when you try to speak up turned in in a meeting. Oh, you God, get yeah. turned into strawberry jam. <laughs> strawberry
1: jam. Oh, <laughs> they, fact: They
0: did use strawberry jam.
1: Oh mm-hmm. God, you really got it. They were full the... of them.
0: Yeah, all these fun facts. Well, I guess like here's
2: the thing. So she, he's like, I want to save my daughter, but should this, should these weapons get into the hands of these baddies? Things are gonna get pretty bad. So it's like, do you sacrifice? I mean, that's the superhero. A lot of superhero movies ask this question: one person versus a ton of people. You know, so that's the kind of, like, he had to weigh it. And he, like he said, like Scott Lang said, you know, I'm expendable, you're not. Which is the obvious explanation, so I understand it. But, you know, I got to say, throughout the movie, I'm kind of like, look, I love Paul Rudd. Who doesn't love Paul Rudd? But, you know, Hope's got a point.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, fast forward to, like, one of the post-credit scenes you do see. And then now that we have seen, like, she gets her moment when she becomes the Wasp. Yeah. So.
2: I wonder, so the thing about Yellow Jacket. Do you so obviously Corey Stahl knew at the end that he was Ant Man. He clearly knew that Hank had been Ant Man. Why do you think he named his thing, his suit, also after a bug? Did I miss something? I mean, I know that's the way the comics are, but did I miss anything? Why is there everything so bug themed?
0: Um, my my answer to you was literally going to be like, oh, that's just how it is in the comics. But <laughs> um, we can throw that to Warvis. Warvis, do you want to give us any more enlightenment as to why cross names?
3: his supersuit, the Yellow Jacket? There are many answers to this, Jordan, although I don't think any of them will be as satisfying as you had hoped. The long version of this is that Yellow Jacket was originally portrayed by Hank Pym in the comics. In the movie, Darren Cross names it Yellow Jacket because it is yellow. He wears it like a jacket. And also for narrative convenience.
1: You know, ultimately, though, we're about halfway through the movie and we get to... Our nice synergy moment. We see a little we see a little hawk uh, no, sorry, Falcon on the on the roof. Where weirdly, Falcon and Ant Man suits are kind of similar looking. Yeah. I was like, there's like a color palette thing going on. I kind of see it. So I got a little confused for a second. I was sure. like, wait, are they buddies? Like are they sidekicks? I'm not really sure.
2: It's funny when there's like prevailing fashions in superhero suits, like throughout, like people end up adapting some of the same fashions and clothing in general. But you know, people who make superhero suits, like, see some guy in the news, like, oh, man, that's pretty dope looking. Yeah. I'm going to get a plate that looks like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that, that metallic gray on my suit. <laughs> like, who sets that fashion?
1: I really like his, his use of material. Yeah. Man, he
2: really, it's really, like, Superman just doesn't change anything ever. But I wonder who's the fashion trendsetter in the MCU, suits-wise.
0: I would say Iron Man, because he has so many different...
2: Mm, that's true. Like all
0: of his mock versions. He's ex- <laughs> a Yeah, he experiments with a lot of different true. coloring and builds. So,
2: and I guess Thor's superhero suit is just kind of what he wears every day in Asgard. Yeah. So, and I guess, and Tony made a suit for Spider Man. Yes, he did. And he made the new Captain America suit, right? I believe so. Oh. I believe he gave Captain America a new suit.
0: Okay, should we ask, could we ask Warvis that? Yes. Warvis, did Tony make Captain America's new suit? And is he the official trendsetter in terms of, co- in terms of <laughs> costumes in the MCU?
3: While many of Steve Rogers' suits were designed by unnamed members of S.H.I.E.L.D., we do know that his SSR field uniform was designed by Howard Stark. It's also worth noting that his second Avengers uniform was indeed designed by Tony Stark, who provided equipment for all of the Avengers except for Thor.
0: But also, like you said, um, there's that really fun moment in Age of Ultron when Vision is first created and he looks at Thor and sees his cape and then he like adds a cape right, to yeah. himself. Aww. So there's a moment where he's like, That's I cute. want one of those too. <laughs> yeah.
2: There's not many capes in the MCU.
0: That's what I started thinking because you mentioned Superman and then obviously I thought of the Incredibles and Edna Mode is like, no capes. No capes! <laughs> so I think about that when I watch these movies and how few capes there are. DC it's, is
2: filled with capes. Batman, Superman, yeah, Shazam. They, Terrible they, cape, but they, I guess you can't change it.
0: They really
1: like the capes, and yeah. I, I have I have strong opinions on capes. Does I Wonder think Woman an, have a cape? No. Ever? She, okay, she doesn't have a cape. It's a shawl. Yeah, I was gonna say she she commonly does wear um over her suit some sort of like almost like a drapey type thing. Sure. That, and she's fought in it before where I'm like, I don't get this. This is not practical. Like <laughs> It's
2: for I, her shoulders.
1: Just, yeah, like, Neither
0: don't. is fighting in a bustier, but well, see, but what is that bustier made of? Like probably some like Amazonian really cool well, Also, I love that you
1: use the word bustier cuz it gave me like a Selena reference right there. Yeah. It's a bra. It's a bustier. <laughs> like so good. Um, but, you know, we our mission's successful. Ant-Man gets out yep. and he gets with the, but then we get, we get the iconic, like, evil man shows up at house to talk about his plot and how he's going to take you down scene yeah. because we're in the living room and he's just like, I know you have it. I know you took it. And you're just like, oh, okay. So this is your, like, obligatory scene where everyone's going to talk about what's going to happen right.
2: rather than us seeing it. <laughs> and then him and Hope exchange glances.
1: Oh, that this is true. And he knows.
2: He knows something's up. He knows something's Why he there? up. But that also, I guess, saves Hank's life. The it fact does. That she's there.
1: Yeah. So it, it kind of, you know, we we think that this could potentially be a higher stakes scene, but we are we we realize that it's actually setting us up for like, okay, some stuff's going to go down, but we're not really sure what it is yet. But then after that, we uh, we kind of get into
2: they have that big old party. The I think we party. go
1: straight to the party that's at PimTech.
2: And Hank shows up late, last minute.
1: Oh, this is very true. Oh yeah, we're getting really close to our uh, our backup scene yep, where yep. Uh, the guys in the van all of our all of our criminals are down to clown unless there is a gaggle of cops outside of your establishment in which case they will slowly back away.
2: I love that they have a Crown Vic like Bobby Spaghetti cool. oh. like has a Crown Vic.
1: Well, I also just lo- oh my god, I love that apparently TI has to be the person to explain this and he's like, "Oh, it's a Crown Vic." And He's like, yeah, what about that? He's like, it's a car typically used for undercover police officers. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that T.I. has to be the person in the plot line to drop that. Like those was, other
2: guys hadn't been
3: caught Yeah, in jail.
0: Also, you guys are also criminals. <laughs> yeah. You should know this. <laughs> Study up.
3: Got a Crown Vic right outside of here. Is this a problem? Considering that Crown Vicks are the most commonly used car for undercover cops, man. Yes, this is a problem.
1: It's like, come on, I'm from South Shore, Long Island. I know that Crown Vicks are undercover cops. Like, let's get real. <laughs> yeah, it was a
3: strange thing to had to
2: explain. You could be like, yo, I think I see the cop in there. Bam. You not have to say like, you could be like, yo, there's Bobby Spaghetti. He's a cop.
1: We're just going to get back to miniature Paul Rudd uh, going through some pipes and doing some crazy shit that is going to get us to... Uh, what the language happens in this movie, gu- guys? Okay. I got so lost at a certain point. I was just like, everyone's tiny. We're just fighting for technology. Well, they're like, trying to
2: steal the suit, and but Corey Stahl knows it. He knows that they're coming. And he, so Paul Rudd has to drop through the, the drains to get to the suit where it's kept. And uh, Corey Stahl stops that from happening. He's like, ha, 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 I'm going to kill you. Um, and then... Hope and Hank are like, no you're not. And they end up fighting in the lab and then he gets away and they go to Scott. Well, Scott's former house. The house where his daughter Cassie lives with uh, Bobby and Judy. Bobby spaghetti. Bobby spaghetti. Bobby Spaghetti. I could not remember his name last night watching this.
1: Bobby Cannavale. I love yep. that man. But yeah, no, and there's there's a very important moment there where, despite the fact that you know that there's a rift between Scott and, um, what is Bobby's character's name in Paxton. this movie? In Paxton? I think mm. spaghetti Paxton it is so mm-hmm. you know that Scott and Paxton, Paxton? you know obviously <laughs> he there's some tension because Paxton not only is a cop but he's now like the new father for his daughter but Paxton steps in like he yeah. protects her he puts you know he's like you, you get behind me and he wants and I was just like this is a moment like where stepdad is even there and he's really caring for her and yeah. I think it made Paul Rudd appreciate paxton a little bit more he also probably
2: pissed well i'm a superhero but i think he's pissed
1: but but at the same time he realizes like well if anybody is going to be with my daughter and i can't be at least it's a guy i know that this this cop will just throw his body in between me uh,
2: and my daughter in danger i love that um judy greer ended up with a cop after being with scott it's
1: like perfect
0: (laughs) it's like a classic case of overcorrection oh yeah it's Mm -hmm. like you date the bad boy and then you're like now i want to date the nerd
1: the nerd. I love that. Like, to you,
2: cops are nerds.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, you're a narc. You're a nerd. They sound similar. No,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Megan's a narc. Is why she's taking offense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I associate cops more with broy than sure.
2: uh, than nerdy. I think so. she's just pointing out more of like a contrast.
0: Yeah, just like as a female, everyone's had that like overcorrection moment where it's like, oh, that guy sucked. I'm going to date his exact opposite now. Yeah. Yes. To get back on track. This is the really fun scene where they are fighting on Cassie's toy train set yes. which I think oh is God. an amazing twist on like the traditional action drama like movie scene and every single time it's so funny when he's about to get hit by the train <laughs> and then you oh see it from God. Cassie's point of view and it's just yes. like Omph.
2: That's what's so great about that like the whole movie kind of no matter how serious the moment it is they just undercut it in a good way like when Scott walks in on Hope and um, uh, Hank later on and just like all the explanations Hank gives Scott he's like what you know Um, and like you said during that fight just seeing the little Thomas' tank engine like hit the windowsill you know or like the little like uh, other trains like Fall over it was oh, yeah. so good.
1: Well, and I love when that Thomas the Tank engine and then it like gets really big Explodes. and it blows and, and the eyes, it's like on its <laughs> side and the eyes just keep going like back. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just like brought me back to like to, to those actual toys growing up and I was like, This is creepy. Like imagine yeah. if your Thomas the Tank engine was just huge. <laughs>
2: and imagine if like you were driving by and you see a gigantic Thomas <laughs> with his eyes going back and forth. Do you know
1: what's funny? I would just think it's one of those people that's like really overzealous about like holiday decorations be like, Oh, it's just this guy trying to win some suburban decoration contest again. He did crush <laughs> half his
2: house, but that uh, apple pie is going to win his worth but it. That, but that
1: execution was perfect.
2: And I think like the, the final scene is kind of like the epitome of the entire movie where it's like super small, but makes it super funny. And like by lowering the stakes, even if the stakes are actually big, it, I don't know, it, it like adds something to it, I believe.
0: Yeah. And if you think about it in the spectrum mm-hmm. of... MCU movies that destroy a bunch of stuff. The only thing that gets destroyed in this movie is the Pym Tech Lab that they like blow Mm -hmm. up, and that even doesn't affect any external areas. It kind of just like folds in on itself. They like shrink it down super small, and then their house. Obviously, as Bobby Cannavale points out, at the end, once the battle is over, he's like, there is a hole in our roof now. a hole really in the quick. Roof.
1: Like the side, so- the, Like, half their house is exploded by a train.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: and it gets fixed so quick because, you know, the next scene, they're eating dinner there.
0: Looks all good. Oh, no, you can see. So, the um, establishing shot, you see there's, like, a whole bunch of construction awesome being done. Tarp. Like, tarp on the top of where, like, Cassie's room is. At least they yeah. made it inhabitable.
2: Right. Yeah. It's not fully done. Given too much... Too much credit to the contractors.
1: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
3: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
2: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting
1: you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. We, we kind of touched on this, but there's a lot of fun moments. There's a lot of like good scenes in this movie. Uh, Jordan, what would you say your the best scene of this film is?
2: The thing that made me laugh the most was when uh, Cassie, Scott Lang's daughter, says to Bobby Spaghetti, she says, are you looking for my dad? And he's like, yeah, I'm trying to uh, trying to protect him. And she goes, I hope you don't find
0: him. So she's, in, she's incredibly loyal yeah, throughout she's the like, whole movie.
2: She's like, I don't care about the law. My dad's a crook. <laughs> I'm into it.
0: She's like, I'm proud of him. Yeah,
2: that was. I mean, obviously, like Michael Payne's speeches are great. His recaps are just incredible. Uh, the side, the side he does. We already mentioned the Baskin Robbins moments when he says a hamburger, and then he asked for a hot pretzel with mustard. <laughs> this is ice cream. Anything hot, really, <laughs> which is so. He's <laughs> like anything
1: that's just not ice cream yeah. would be great. <laughs> it's so
2: good.
3: Um, I will have. I'll have a burger, please. Oh, we don't. We don't make that pretzel, hot pretzel, like mustard. Mustard dip, it's ice cream, basket rub. I'll just do like whatever's hot and fresh.
2: Um, I think, yeah, I think those are the moments that made me laugh the most. There are a lot of great little cracks, you know, where he's just interrupting, you know. And I, I like again when Hank is explaining something to him, and he's like, "What?" You know, I don't because I that's me when I watch these superhero movies. I'm like, "The science isn't real, so why are you spending that much time explaining it?" <laughs> they do that in Godzilla movies too. All the old ones. I'll spend like half an hour with the scientist who's explaining this junk science that will be thrown away by the next movie. And I'm just like, why? W- w- why? And he agrees. He's like, just tell me. Am I going to get small? What is it? So that was for me. Favorite parts.
1: All right. What about you, Morgan? What would you say your favorite part of this movie or your favorite scene of this movie
0: is? My favorite scene is when they are trying to break out of the PEM technologies at the end. And um, Paul Rudd is running through the model that Cross has in his yeah. office and he's basically like you were saying it's one of those really cool undercutting moments where he's small and it's a play off of the action movie trope of like running through the streets and like the buildings are exploding but he's literally in an ant sized model and in <laughs> my head I was always like what is this this school for ants <laughs> and I'm like yes oh, Zoolander, Zoolander
2: I love at the end of that scene where Michael Pena comes in and he's like did I save you did I save you he's like so excited to have saved him yeah. Like needs confirmation,
0: exactly. So I just think that moment, and similarly for the same reasons, the um, battle on the train set moment. I think those are really fun.
1: Yeah, mine have to be just like all the all the Michael Pena scenes. Yeah. Like I just so love good. the. You mentioned the rose line earlier. Like that's definitely just my favorite line of the whole movie. It's obscure, ridiculous, but I love it. <laughs> There's some good lines in this movie. Like, what would you guys say are your favorite uh, either comedic moments or just, like, great deliveries?
2: You know, even at the beginning when Scott's leaving jail and he's getting punched in the face and he punches the other guy and he's like, we don't know, we don't know the context of it all. And then it zooms out he goes, you guys have a weird goodbye ceremony, you know, or tradition. So good. <laughs> they just got to punch each other in the face before he leaves jail. Was, I think it sets the tone for the entire thing. Oh, hell yeah. You know, like, this guy is going to go along with anything. And this movie's gonna throw anything at you. So I think, like that, to me was maybe not the funniest line, but the context made it really funny. I miss you, Scott.
3: I miss you too, Peachy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> you guys got the weirdest goodbye ridges.
1: Well, I think that's super important because in the beginning, you know, I, like coming into this movie, I didn't realize that Scott Lang's character was a criminal. Mm. So when you see that first scene, that scene where he's getting punched in the face, I mean, no offense, Paul Rudd, like he he doesn't come off as this like buff dude necessarily because he's kind of like goofy and fun. So he gets punched in the face and I'm like, oh man, is he going to be like, this character that kind of gets beat on in this right. movie, and then it, he he responds with that kind of like, oh man, this is a weird weird goodbye ritual yeah. for you guys, and <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, cool. So he can hold his own, right. and so that at least gave me some faith in the character going into the rest of the film. Yeah,
0: I think that was a large reason why Paul Rudd was cast in this role because you need to have someone that is incredibly charming and endearing to be able for audiences to be. okay. Essentially, okay with him being a criminal and rooting for a criminal throughout the movie, and I won't go into it now. But there are a ton of think pieces about like how mo- different this movie would have been if the Scott Lang character were a person of color mm. and they were a criminal, and how they'd be like so much less receptive in terms of like how we view criminals and how would they be given these opportunities, and they probably wouldn't even yeah, get the job at like about Baskin about Robbins that. in the yeah. first place. So, yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so, you definitely need to have an actor that is able to portray that like charm to get you on board with your main character being a criminal and kind of that essential like flawed protagonist uh, role that we've seen multiple times. But I would say going into some of that charm, one of my favorite lines is when Scott is battling Falcon at Avengers HQ and he goes, hi, I'm Scott. And you like, introduces himself yeah. and Hope and Hank are like, did he just say, hi, I'm Scott? <laughs> and it just kind of is one of those great moments where, you know, Paul Rudd, you can tell he's having fun with this role and it's very true to his character in terms of like, he's just going to roll with it and he's actually in awe and he's like, you're, you're an Avenger, like, you're one of my favorite ones. It's really cool to meet you. Right. It's kind of that endearing, like, Okay, I'm just here for the ride. Like, I'm just gonna go with whatever. So I think it's a really fun moment where it you can see so much of his character coming through. It's okay.
3: He can't see me. I can see you. He can see me. Hi. I'm Scott. Did
1: he just say, hi, I'm Scott?
3: It also
2: is like, what would you say in that situation? I had no idea what I'd say to Falcon if he saw me on the roof or whatever, trying to steal stuff. And like the idea that he's introducing himself is probably what most people would do.
0: Exactly. And he tries to explain it. He's like, listen, I need to borrow this one thing really fast. I'll bring it right back. Like He doesn't want to fight him. Right. You know, he tries to explain himself, which I guess is what any of us would potentially try to do
1: yeah well that when you talk about like him trying to be rational it makes me think of the scene where he tries to return the suit and then they're like they're like hands up and he goes no I'm not stealing anything I'm just (laughs) returning the thing I stole and then he realizes like I just admitted that I stole stole something it's like (laughs) a defeat that hits his face it's so good but I mean I think overall this movie has really great comedy and I personally chalk that up to to Peyton Reed yeah. our, the our director because I mean he's the man who brought us bring it on sure. let's let's be real that is one of the comedy like the best comedies of all time Well what
2: was hanging over this movie from for so long was the fact that Edgar Wright was originally attached to direct it yeah. and wrote you know a version of the screenplay I don't know if and I mean Peyton Reed obviously did his own draft of the screenplay but so much of this movie initially was like how much Edgar Wright is going to be left of it? How much are we going to see of him? And you know it's hard it's impossible to know what was Peyton Reed versus what was Edgar Wright unless they like do a you know some sort of like commentary which will never happen. But It movie does not feel like someone else's. Someone was making someone else's movie. It feels like very much Peyton Reed's movie, and you saw that. And we'll talk about this in the future.
3: Ant (laughs) Man and the Wasp.
2: This is the same. Has the same tone, and it's clearly Peyton Reed's movie. And he owned it in a way that you know some directors probably would have like, you know, not been able to handle that. Those big shoes to fill.
1: Yeah, he, you know, I was reading um, a few articles about sort of his, his past and how he's gotten the projects that he did. And he said this thing in one of these articles that it, It was enlightening but also kind of angering in that way that like when you're in college and someone who's like a producer or director comes to speak to your class and they're like, just do it. And you're you're like, I don't know what that means. But he does kind of say like, look, I just take the opportunities that get put in front of me and I can't necessarily calculate how doing Bring It On, you know, either led me to this direction or led me to this. He's like, I'm just – like he's kind of like I'm happy to be working and if you put a challenge in front of me, I'm just going to take a swing at it. Like he doesn't – you know, he's one of those directors that doesn't have, I think – a very meticulous way of saying you know like when you look at a Tarantino movie or you look at a Scorsese movie you're like oh this is specific I mean you get that feeling from a Peyton Reed movie but you feel like he's like no I'm willing to adapt to this subject matter and like create comedic bits or shoot this movie in a way that lends itself to what that subject matter is so it's like Look at like Bring It On and you compare it to something like this. You're like, oh, these are massively different movies, but you can tell that they come from the same mind of saying, how do we understand, how do I set up this world and give you enough context, but also comedy to enjoy the ride?
2: The fact that they brought him back for the second one speaks, Mm -hmm. you know, says the world because obviously when you're making a Marvel movie, you know, you're kind of a jobber. Even James Gunn, they could have made the third one without, third Guardians of the Galaxy without him. You're coming in, especially without like a huge blockbuster body of work you are not in our tour so much. They give you some space, but you know, you have to work within the system. And he was able to do that, but making it kind of a unique movie.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think again, going back to what I was saying earlier, was like this movie feels standalone in a in a good way in the MCU that like it kinda if, if all you wanted to do was come in and watch this movie, you'd enjoy it and it's a good ride. Um and you but if
2: you're also a hardcore fan, you're gonna get your little nuggets that you want throughout it. I wanted more John Slattery. I'll say that.
1: Okay, I'll give you that.
2: Minor complaint. Okay. Minor complaint. Or Howard.
1: I love Roger, Roger Sterling, you know, again, just to bring in the references. <laughs> of. Let's talk about all the other properties this person was in. But then let's get to our post credit scene because, you know, there there are two in this movie. Morgan, why don't you talk about talk? – let's talk about the Bucky and Cap one first.
0: Okay, so – I feel like I remember at the time a lot of people were not pleased with this post-credit scene because it is something that Marvel has done since then. But I think this is the first time they did it where it's not a post-credit scene as in it's happening in the world of this movie and we've added it on to create additional exposition. They literally lifted this scene straight out of Civil War because we do see this scene happen again where – It's Falcon and Cap with Bucky. If we call Tony,
2: Uh, he won't believe us. Even if he did. Who knows if
0: the Accords will let him help. We're on our own. Maybe not. I know a guy. You don't know what the Accords are at this point, which they mention in the post credit scene. So you don't know what the Accords are. You don't know what they're on their run from. Um, You just know that something is happening. And Falcon saying, I know a guy, is supposed to be the introduction to them bringing Ant-Man back into that Avengers world. And I think a lot of people were kind of confused at the time but now looking back at it, like you were saying earlier, Jordan, you know, people are allowed you get so much more context looking back at things mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, now that we've seen Civil War this was a really great setup in bringing Ant-Man into that universe and you know, now we know what the Accords are, which is like a huge plot point of Civil War and what Tony and Cap were fighting about the entire time. And so I think looking back at it, it's a great post credit scene. But I do remember at the time, without having any of that context, I think fans were like a little upset as to like what it meant.
2: I wonder when Falcon reached out to Scott Lang uh, after he said, "I know a guy." He reached out to him was Scott like, oh, "This guy's gonna come after me." It was like an awkward first conversation. You don't know. None of us know. I just like to imagine it. You're like, oh no, I'm so- I'm sorry for punching you. I, re- I really am. <laughs> he's like no I want you on our team he's like, shut
0: up no you don't <laughs> no you don't who me
1: but our <laughs> other post scene it, it cues us up for Ant-Man and the Wasp basically sure. you know like that one it's pretty logical it's like oh we're gonna show you Evangeline Lilly's gonna get her due you know yeah. to your point Jordan she's gonna kind of get to finally do the things that she wants to do and that suit is dope
3: maybe it's time we
2: finished it
3: it's about damn
1: time
2: that is and I, and we'll talk about this during the Ant-Man and the Wasp podcast which I will be on in 22 Days of Marvel but she gets to fly
0: and do we know the suit that we see in this post-credit scene is? I know he says Hank says it's a prototype, which leaves some room for them to be able to present something different in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. But is it sim- Is it the same suit? It's basically basically the yeah. same. Okay.
1: Now, so like, where where do we feel at the end of this movie? Like, what are we speculating for Endgame? Like, what to be fair, Civil War is kind of like a what, what do we say Avengers two point five yeah. <laughs> movie. Yeah, it's yeah. a glorified
0: Avengers. Movie. So,
1: like, you know, at this point, are people even thinking about Endgame, or are we kind of like, okay, what's going to be our net? You know, what's going to be the next chance where we see the Avengers together?
3: Alert! Alert! Alert!
0: In terms of looking back into like what clues and things we learn from this movie that will play a role in in game a heart, a large part of it is the quantum realm. Like yep. this is the first movie where we even hear the words quantum realm. And obviously it gets pushed even further in the post credit scene of Ant Man and the Wasp where, you know, we see that Scott gets stuck in the quantum realm because of Thanos' snap. And therefore now that we know that we've seen these in game trailers, he gets out somehow. And so, um, There is a line when Hank is explaining what the quantum realm is. And he's like, it's where all concepts of time and space become irrelevant. And everyone is talking about, like, we know time travel has something to do with Endgame. And so this movie really laid the building blocks for expanding on that. And actually, I was reading in preparation for this podcast that when Scott goes subatomic to get into um, the yellow jacket suit to basically, like, save Cassie, in the reflection of his helmet when he's going subatomic and when he's coming back out, you can see an outline of Hank's wife. So you can, like, see a shadow of her in the reflection of his helmet as he's going in and out of the quantum realm, which plays into the fact how they get her out sure. in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And that plays a huge role in Endgame and saying, like, okay, so it's possible to get in and out of the quantum realm how are they going to manipulate that and learn more from that in endgame? And how's that going to play out? We don't know, but I, we, I think everyone's in pretty much agreement that it's going to be a large plot point.
2: Absolutely, and I think that we all just need to, in addition to the quantum realm, and it's part of the quantum realm. We just need to recognize the probable accuracy of the fan theory that Ant Man will be flying up Thanos' butt and <laughs> then enlarging himself and destroying him. <laughs> I'm actually mad that that fan theory did not originate with Sci Fi Wire.
1: Yeah, I'm actually disappointed yeah. in us for not having created that fan theory initially. Let me just tell you, I
2: yelled at all of my writers. I said, bring me Do more butt theories.
1: <laughs> Oh god, Do better, guys. Yep. Do better. But so, um, you know, here on this podcast, we uh, we actually threw to all of the Sci-Fi Wire uh, contributors, producers, editors, and uh, wanted to figure out where all these movies ranked. Uh, and so, Warvis, where did Ant-Man fall in Sci-Fi Wire's official ranking?
3: In Sci-Fi Wire's official ranking of the MCU, Ant-Man ranks number 13 out of 21, just ahead of Iron Man 2 and just behind Doctor Strange.
1: 13, okay. So is the higher the number, the worse the movie? Higher the number. The better the movie? Oh, the worse. Worse, okay.
2: I mean, I like this movie more than a lot of the other Marvel movies, a lot of the team-up movies, but I don't have a problem with that number. At least it's not, like, lower. I would have been pissed if it was, like, 15 or below. So, I'm okay with 13.
1: Yeah, it seems a little high for me, but again, because I'm not like I haven't really been on the whole Avengers bandwagon. I'm more into these like standalone character right. pieces. Um I'm a little disappointed it's that high, but I think when you get into the sheer
2: volume of movies that are It's that, are in that this it's universe. that high in the sense that it should be ranked better. Yeah, I think okay, it's like okay, like okay. I yeah, think yeah.
1: It, it's fun. It's comedic. I, I don't know. Personally, I think The movies in the MCU that have an easier point of entry that don't require an insane amount of back knowledge. I get it. Like, if you're a comics fan, that's an awesome thing to be able to come in and understand these storylines and see all the little gifts that you're given. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I also go to the movies more than I read comics. So if I'm going to – I want to come in and enjoy something and not feel completely lost. Like, sometimes
0: at the end of these movies, I feel stupid. You don't want it to feel (laughs) all the
2: time like an assignment
0: or homework. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to do work in order to come in to enjoy it. Sometimes,
2: yeah, a movie you just want to enjoy for two hours, laugh about it afterwards, and, you know, quote a line or two with friends, but not, like, have to go over the tape like a forensic scientist.
1: No, for sure. I mean, and I don't know. maybe, Maybe it all depends on the way you come into the MCU, either as a comics fan originally or as somebody who committed to really kind of watching the MCU unfold on screen. So, like, to each their own, for sure. But I think that, like, ultimately for me... The ability to drop into this universe and enjoy a good character story is my favorite part of it without, to your point, the homework or commitment of knowing all the phases and how things roll out because it definitely, I, definitely, I felt like I was taking notes like I was studying for an exam.
2: I feel like there's a difference between best movie and best Marvel movie. Because this is a really enjoyable movie and few in the Marvel Universe, I think, are as fun as this one. Mm -hmm. But if you're a huge Marvel fan and you're looking for all those Easter eggs and all those little bits that you're building up towards Endgame, you may get more out of the experience of watching, I don't know, like a Civil War or something.
0: Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, this is a heist movie, you know, like this is a standalone heist movie. If you enjoy heist movies, you can like this just as much as you like Ocean's Eleven. You have those similar montages of like assembling the team. We need the getaway driver. We need the technology guy. Like so many familiar tropes are in this movie that make it accessible for people that don't need any additional MCU knowledge. And I think when you're talking about building a universe and building a fan base, You need to be able to have these standalone movies for people to be able to come in and then become attached to a character to want to see how their story unfolds moving forward. So if you come in and you see Ant-Man and you really identify with Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, then you want to see, okay, what happens to this character in Civil War? What happens to this character in Infinity War? What happens to this character in Endgame? So it's a point of entry bringing you into that universe and essentially like the point of an origin story is to help you identify and want to be spend more time with these characters
3: sure. I,
1: I completely agree and i think that you know on on that note that kind of it kind of sums up you know what ant-man was able to do to establish his origin story but gets us really kind of primed for what we're going to talk about next which is going to be captain america civil war which again was
0: two point, avengers 2.5 mm-hmm. apparently a lot of stuff happens in that movie you know uh, it's
2: one good point about Having Paul Rudd in this role, they can make a hundred Ant-Man sequels. He would look the same.
0: Oh my God! He, he does not age. The true. man, the man does not 50 age yesterday. at all.
2: Like so
1: incredible. 50
0: yesterday, five zero. Oh my God! I think I love Josh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you guys enjoyed talking about this movie just as much as we did, despite possibly my inability to remember the plot the entire, the entire time. Uh, but if you enjoyed this, can you like and subscribe, rate and review? And tomorrow you can join us back here again to talk about Captain
3: America Civil War.